0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul stands. The anchor of the soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 13, he said, Hold fast. The pattern or the form of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to be talking about tonight ultimately has to do with what is revealed in God's pattern. That is in the scriptures. And I want to hold up a ruler. A couple of weeks ago in the lesson I talked about how a ruler is a standard. And as you think about our English word, canon, that word means rule, a measuring stick. So when we talk about the 27 books of the New Testament, our canon, we're talking about that rule of faith, that measuring stick against which we look at what people think, espouse, believe, and practice. Now Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said that we are to walk by the same rule. The only way that we can be on the same page religiously is if we follow the same rule, the same guide. And the only guide that I know that will bring about cohesion in terms of what we believe and practice is God's word. In the book of Romans in chapter 4, Paul raises a question. It is a question that we always ought to ask whenever we talk about anything that has to do with religion. The question is very simple. For what does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say? Ultimately, that's all that matters. Because I might have an opinion, you might have an opinion, the world has an opinion. The standard, the rule, however, is God's Word. So our appeal is to Scripture, because after all, Scripture is what's going to judge us. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day. In John 12, verse 48. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, that the judgment of God is according to truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So our goal is to appeal to Scripture, to the Bible. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, we want to give book chapter verse for everything that we believe, everything that we practice, with the understanding that the authority rests not in the church, not in the human heart, but rather the authority rests in Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And God the Father said, speaking of the Son, that we are to hear him in Matthew 17, verse 5. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, we sang the song a moment ago, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means to do it by his authority. Anything less would be unacceptable. So in our lesson tonight, we're going to appeal to the Bible. And we want to ask the question, what does the Bible say? Because after all, that's really all that matters. I hope and pray that in our discussion tonight that this lesson will not be taken in the wrong spirit. It's certainly not my intent to hurt anyone, but my goal is to help. And what I want us to do is to think about what God says in His Word. And I want to emphasize over and over again that when we talk about this lesson tonight, that we're going to strive to the best of our ability to look at what the Bible has to say in light of what men and women say in the world today. So let's begin by talking about, and if you have a copy of the lesson, if you don't there's some on the table in the foyer, but on the left side of the paper we have departures from the faith, the right side what the Bible says, and so we're just going to go through this a very simplistic outline, and I want you to think about, again, what the Bible has to say. So when we talk about some of the departures from the faith, and you need to understand, the Holy Spirit warned in the first century that there would be departures from the apostolic church, from the faith. God, in His great wisdom, recognized that those departures would begin within the eldership, and Paul makes that abundantly clear in Acts chapter 20. So you have men who functioned as overseers in a local congregation and then over time what happened? Well, one man assumed the role of a bishop and he oversaw not just one congregation but multiple congregations. And from there, any number of departures came into play. So with that in mind, let's just think for a minute or two about what the Bible has to say about the one church. The world says, the world looks around And it's abundantly evident that there are many churches. Did you know that there are thousands of religious organizations, denominations, in our world today? I want to ask this question. Was that God's design? Did God design the religious world in such a way so that it would be acceptable to have any number of churches wearing different names, And practicing different faiths. I think about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul chided the church at Corinth because they were divided. And he said, God's plan is that there be no division among you, but that you all speak the same thing. So when you look around and you see the religious world at large today, it is quite frankly a mess. And I say that. Because I genuinely feel for people when they begin asking the question, how do I know which church is right? Is there a church that is right? Is there a church that lines up with what the Bible has to say? So in the world, the world says there are many churches. And the idea, acceptable in the minds of many, many people. Matter of fact, I had a conversation not long ago. A fellow, I think he was very genuine and honest. In his heart of hearts, he believed what he said. But he said, you know, with regard to the church thing, he said, it really doesn't matter to me what church you belong to. And I think that, by and large, that's how a lot of folks feel. The idea of many churches is acceptable. But what does the Bible say? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, based upon that good confession Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you, that you're Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Two things stand out in this verse. Number one, Jesus promised to build his church. It belongs to him, doesn't it? The church doesn't belong to me. doesn't belong to any individual. But rather the church belongs to Jesus. And so Jesus said, I will build my church. And note if you would, that word church is used in the singular. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to build the church that belongs to me. Now in Colossians 1 verse 18, Paul said, speaking of Christ, he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning. The word beginning there is a very important term because it means active cause, the source of from which something began. And what Paul is saying in that context is that Jesus was and is the source of the church. The ecclesia, the community of the saved, the called out. Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are a part of the cleansed, the redeemed, the saved. So what about this idea of one church? Can we look at the Bible... And look at verses outside of Matthew 16, 18 to prove that there's just one church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. Now Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, there's just one body. And the Bible says he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church. Listen to him. Which is his body? So if there's just one body, that means there's just one church. Now, I didn't say that. That's what Paul said. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. So when we ask the question, what does the Bible say? The Bible says there's just one church. And Jesus is the one that built that church, Matthew 16, 18. He bought it, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And it belongs to him, Matthew 16, 18. So he bought it. He built it, it belongs to him. It's just as simple as ABC, really. Now there's a second thing. There are many churches in our world today that have been founded by men. The church that we're talking about tonight is the church that was founded by none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Psalm 127.1. We read a moment ago, Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus promised to build his church. We looked at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul said, speaking of Christ, he's the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I'm well aware that there are people today who will say that the church of Christ was started, founded by Alexander Campbell. If I recall correctly, Alexander Campbell was born in 1788. He died in 1866. The New Testament church began nearly 1,700 years before Alexander Campbell was even thought of. The Church of Christ was not founded by Alexander Campbell, nor any other person. Now sometimes people have, it's not so common today, but there was a time when people Outside the church would identify members of the church as Campbellites. I'm not a Campbellite. You're not a Campbellite. Why? Because Alexander Campbell did not start the Church of Christ. In Romans 16 verse 16 and think about this. Paul is writing to the saints in Rome. Some 1700 years before Alexander Campbell was ever born and Paul said the churches of Christ salute you. So if you want biblical evidence there it is. Plain and simple. So we think about church was founded by Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the founder, the foundation. And by the way, he is the chief cornerstone according to Ephesians 2. Everything rests upon the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? So the world says there are many churches, but the Bible says there's just one church. The world says churches can be founded by men. but The Bible says the church was founded by Jesus. The world says that there can be a human head of the church. As a matter of fact, there are many people, some one billion people in our world today, that acknowledge a supreme legislator here upon this earth. The Bible says there's just one potentate. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is the head of the church. The Bible says, speaking of the head of the church, that Jesus Christ occupies that position. In Ephesians 1.22, Paul said he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now, the problem is that there are some people that have the idea that because Jesus is in heaven and the church is on earth, we need somebody to legislate. The affairs of the church on earth, well, Jesus has already taken care of that. And You know how He did it? He left us His will. It's called the New Testament. He is the mediator, according to the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter nine fifteen. He is the mediator of the new covenant. It's called the law of Christ, Galatians six two. James identifies it as the perfect law of liberty. In James chapter two, he calls it the law of liberty. So Jesus exercises authority over the church through his word. And he's just, he is the head. He is the only head. Now I made this point before, I made it before, and I want to make it again because I think that there are a lot of people that have difficulty seeing this concept. If you look at what the Bible says, the Bible, and again we're asking the question, what does the Bible say? The Bible says there is one head and one body. In the religious world, there are some that would say there are two heads, one In heaven, one on earth, and there's one body. And then there are those that would say, they would acknowledge with us, there is just one head, but they would say there are many bodies. But I want to ask the question, what does the Bible say? The Bible says there's one head and there's one body, and that is what the New Testament teaches. What happens is people typically, sadly, fail to open the Word of God and read for themselves what the Bible says. They fail to interpret the scriptures. We have to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul said in Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. We are encouraged to prove or to test all things, and to hold fast that which is good. John said, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, every teacher, but try, test the spirits, test the teachers, because he said many false prophets have gone out into the world." In First John chapter four, verse six, John talks about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So. When we talk about things that pertain to life and godliness, matters of faith, we don't want to just rest upon what somebody says. And by the way, please do not take what I'm saying as true just because I'm the one saying. But what I want to encourage you to do, you take what I have said tonight, what I'm saying, you examine it in light of God's Word. If what I have said matches up with Scripture, then by all means, please believe it and obey it. If not, then discard it. We need to cultivate the spirit of the Bereans, of whom it was said they searched the Scriptures to see whether those things were so. Now you think about the Apostle Paul. He and Silas were in Berea. And the Bible says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. What Luke is telling us is those people had an open heart and an open Bible, an open mind, didn't they? Paul was an inspired apostle, and yet they checked him out by looking at what the Bible said, by looking at Scripture. If Paul was an inspired apostle and people checked him out, then don't you think we ought to check people out today? I mean, don't you think that we ought to put to the test what they say? Because after all, our eternal soul hangs in the balance. If you believe error, practice error, and die in error, what does that mean? It means you're lost. The Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4. God wants people to be saved. And the instrument by which people are saved is the truth of God. Jesus said you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And then, what about human names that are used to identify the church? If you were to take a drive through DeSoto County, you would come across any number of religious organizations wearing... Names other than what you read about in the Bible. And yet when we look at Scripture, there are Bible names that are used to describe those who have obeyed the gospel. In Romans 16, 16, we read about the churches of Christ. As a matter of fact, in the American Standard Version, the word church is found 95 times. The kingdom of God is found some 68 times. The kingdom of heaven is found 32 times. The church of God is found about 11 times in the New Testament. So what are you saying? All we're saying is that when we talk about that collective body of believers, we ought to use a biblical name, shouldn't we? Now, lest you think that this is something that is, I guess we would say, common only to us, let me just read for you some statements by those in the Reformation period. Martin Luther said, I pray you, leave my name alone. Call not yourselves Lutherans, but Christians. Who is Luther? My doctrine is not mine. I have not been crucified for anyone. St. Paul would not have any called themselves of Paul nor of Peter, but of Christ. How then does it befit me, a miserable bag of dust and ashes, to give my name to the children of Christ? Cease, my dear friends, to cling to these party names and distinctions. Away with them all. And let us call ourselves only Christians after him from whom our doctrine comes. And then John Wesley. He said, would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which have divided the Christian world were forgot. That we might all agree to sit down together as humble, loving disciples at the feet of the common master. To hear his word, to imbibe his spirit, and to transcribe his life into our own. Now I want you to listen to this by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon in his day was probably one of the most prominent Baptists alive. He preached in London to a congregation of about 10,000 people per week. And Here's what he said. I look forward with pleasure to the day when there will not be a Baptist living. I hope they will soon be gone. I hope the Baptist name will soon perish, but let Christ's name last forever. And then Alexander Campbell, of whom I spoke a moment ago. Alexander Campbell writing in response to those who were identifying... Members of the body of Christ as Campbellites, he said, but alas, the enemies have blasphemed the blessed gospel by pasting our sinful names upon it to bring it into disrepute. Campbell said this in reference to the practice of being called Campbellites and others being called Stoneites after Barton W. Stone. These men were right. They were right because what they were saying is, we need to call the church by a biblical name. So again, I ask you the question, what does the Bible say? Isn't that what's most important? And then there are those in the world, in the religious world, that will say that baptism is not essential to salvation. Have you heard that? Many of us have. Matter of fact, I would say that it's quite common in the religious world. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you do not have to be baptized to go to heaven. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. And Jesus has all authority, Matthew 28, 18. And God the Father said we're to hear him, Matthew 17, 5. So if we talk about a subject, and the Lord has spoken on that subject, don't you think we ought to listen to him? Don't you think we ought to give him an audience? Jesus said, he that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. Who could misunderstand that? Now... If Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, it shouldn't be up for discussion, should it? Somebody said a long time ago, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Let me tell you what, if the Bible says it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. What God says is true. On Pentecost Day, when those people heard the gospel for the very first time, Luke said that they were cut, pricked in the heart. And they cried out and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, if you were listening to people today on the radio or television, what do you think you would hear? Could I tell you what you would hear? The preacher would say, Accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and then recite after me what's typically called the sinner's prayer. Is that what Peter said? Now, if we're asking the question, What does the Bible say? Is that what he said? No, Peter said... Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now Peter was writing, or rather Peter was speaking as God's inspired spokesman. Do you think he do you think he knew what he was talking about? Do you think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? You see, in order to be saved we have to be in Christ because salvation is in Christ, Second Timothy chapter two, verse ten. And the only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. And the reason we're baptized into Christ is because we need to contact the blood of Christ. And Jesus shed his blood in death, John nineteen, thirty-four and thirty-five. The only way to appropriate that blood is to go where it was shed. It was shed in death. So Paul would write in Romans chapter six, verse three Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now why then were people in the first century baptized? They were baptized to be saved. Mark sixteen, sixteen. They were baptized to enjoy the remission of forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. They were baptized to enjoy the washing away of sins, Acts 22.16. So when want to ask this question. Is baptism essential for salvation? What would you say? Jesus said it is. Peter said it is. Paul said it is. And so that settles it, doesn't it? Not to be arrogant or rude. But that's what the Bible says. So why can't we just accept what the Bible teaches? Practice what the Bible teaches. Do you remember Peter talked about how God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness? If you want to know something about life and godliness, where do you go? To the source, don't you? So, in the world, the world says there are many churches. The Bible says there's one church. The world acknowledges that there are churches founded by men, but the Bible says the church was founded by Christ. The world acknowledges that there is a human head in the church. The Bible says Christ is our only head. The world says baptism is not essential for salvation. The Bible says it is essential for salvation. And then the world says that there is a special priesthood. In other words, there is a distinction made between the person in the pew. And someone who occupies a position of prominence in the church. Well, the Bible tells us that we, that is Christians, are a priesthood of believers. Every person who has obeyed the gospel is a priest of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter said that we are a holy priesthood and that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so... There is no special priesthood as acknowledged by some in the religious world. Every person who is a Christian is a priest. And let me just add this. There are no special designations when it comes to saints based on meritorious works. Every person who has obeyed the gospel of Christ is a saint of the Most High God. And you might ask the question, how do you know that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul wrote to the church of God at Corinth, to those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then he said, called to be saints. So every Christian is a priest, every Christian is a saint. Now, again, what does the Bible say? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? So why the distinction? And then there are those in the world, in the religious world today, that will say church membership is not essential. The Bible teaches that church membership is essential. But well, somebody asked the question, how do you know that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. Who's the Savior of the body? Jesus is. How many times have you heard people say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with any formal organization called the church? There was a movement some years ago that said, Jesus, yes, the church, no. Let me tell you what, if you're in Jesus, you're in the church. If you're in the church, you're in Jesus. The two go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. On Pentecost Day, when those people obeyed the gospel, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church those who are being saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13, Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized, listen to him, into one body. When you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into the body of Christ. Can you be saved outside the body of Christ? Can you be saved outside the church? What a question. How could you be saved outside the church? You can't be saved more outside the church than you can be saved outside of Christ. The two go hand in hand. So the world says you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. The Bible says, guess what? You want to go to heaven, you better be a member of the church. Why? Because He is the Savior of the body. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. And then there are those that would say, join the church of your choice. Have you heard that? It's a common theme. Many of us have heard people say, As I said a moment ago, this idea of the church, that's really not a big deal. I mean, whatever brand you want to choose, that's up to you. What about being a member of the church of God's choice? What's God's choice? The church that Jesus died and purchased with his blood? The church that he promised to build and that he did build? The church that belongs to him? In the religious world, what typically you hear is, you join the church. Look, we don't join the church. The Bible tells us that God adds us to the church. Acts 2, verse 47. We're not voted into the church. We don't join the church of our choice, but rather God adds us to that divine body. And again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, when you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into that body. God puts you there. So the idea of joining the church of your choice, that's popular in the world, popular in religious circles. Matter of fact, most people would probably say it really doesn't matter. But I want to ask this question, what does the Bible say? Isn't that what's most important? What does the Bible say? And then there are those in the world today that will say there are many faiths. You ever heard that? I heard a fellow say that in the debate not long ago. He said the Bible talks about many faiths. Well, Paul said there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, there's just one faith. The one faith is that comprehensive system of truth that has been once for all delivered. And we have today, it's called the New Testament. I want to close tonight by saying that it is not my intent to come across haughty or arrogant. I'm not interested in winning an argument. What I am interested in doing is presenting what the Bible says. If what I have said tonight is not found in your New Testament, then by all means, please do not believe it. But I believe if you look at what the Bible has to say and you run the references and you examine every point that was made in light of what God's Word says, you'll find that there's harmony there. Not because I said it, but because the Bible says it. When it's all said and done, the only thing that's going to matter is what does the Bible say. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love